you are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading the four volumes and over 2,500 pages of Maria Vagrida's Mystical Revelations contained in the Mystical City of God. Today is day 19. Today is day 19, and our reading is taken from Book 1, Chapter 11, beginning at paragraph 134 through 146. In the creation of all things, the Lord had before his mind Christ, our Lord, and his most holy mother. He chose his people and heaped his benefits on them. In the eighth chapter of the Proverbs, wisdom says of itself that it was present in the creation, ordering all things conjointly with the Almighty. Proverbs 8.30 And I said above, number 54, that this wisdom is the incarnate word, who was his most holy mother, was present in spirit when God resolved upon the creation of the whole world. For in that instant, the Son was not only coexistent in divine essence with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but also the human nature, which he was to assume, was foreseen and conceived as the prototype of all works in the divine mind of the Father. Conjointly with him was also foreseen, as present, the human nature of his most holy mother, who was to conceive him in her most pure womb. In these two persons were foreseen all the works, so that on account of them, speaking in a human way, he overlooked all that could offend him in the conduct of the men and the angels that were to fall. For the conduct of the latter was an inducement, rather to desist from the creation of the human race and the things that were to subserve for their use. The Most High looked upon his Son, and his most holy mother as models, produced in the culmination of his wisdom and power, in order that they might serve as prototypes according to which he was to copy the whole human race. Thus, the rest of men depended on these two as mediators between themselves and God. He created also the necessary material beings required for human life, but with such wisdom that some of them also serve as symbols, to represent in a certain way these two beings, which he primarily intended, and to which all others were to be subservient, namely Christ and his most holy Mary. On this account, he made the luminaries of heaven, the sun and the moon, Genesis 1.16, so that in dividing the day and the night, they might symbolize the Son of Justice, Christ and his most holy mother, who is beautiful as the moon, Canticle 6.9, For these two divide the day of grace and the night of sin. The sun illuminates the moon, and both together with the stars of the firmament illuminate all other creatures with the confines of the universe. He created the rest of the beings and added to their perfection, because they were to be subservient to Christ and most holy Mary, and through them to the rest of men. Before the universe proceeded from its nothingness, he set it as a banquet, abundant and unfailing, and more memorable than the feast of Ashursus, Esther 1.3. For he was to create man for his delight, and to draw him to the enjoyment of his knowledge and love. Like a most courteous and bounteous lord, he did not wish that the invited guests should wait, but that both the creation and the invitation to the banquet of his knowledge and love be one in the same act. Man was not to lose any time in that which concerned him so much, namely to know and to praise his almighty maker. 
On the sixth day he formed and created Adam, as it were of the age of thirty-three years. This was the age in which Christ was to suffer death, and Adam, in regard to his body, was so like unto Christ that scarcely any difference existed. Also, according to the soul, Adam was similar to Christ. From Adam, God formed Eve so similar to the Blessed Virgin that she was like unto her in personal appearance and in figure. God looked upon these two images of the great originals with the highest pleasure and benevolence, and on account of the originals, he heaped many blessings upon them, as if he wanted to entertain himself with them and their descendants until the time should arrive for forming Christ and Mary. But the happy state in which God had created the parents of the human race lasted only a very short while. The envy of the serpent was immediately aroused against them, for Satan was impatiently waiting their creation, and no sooner were they created than his hatred became active against them. However, he was not permitted to witness the formation of Adam and Eve, as he had witnessed the creation of all other things. For the Lord did not choose to manifest to him the creation of man, nor the formation of Eve from a rib. All these things were concealed from him for a space of time until both of them were joined. But when the demon saw the admirable composition of the human nature, perfect beyond that of any other creature, the beauty of the souls and also of the bodies of Adam and Eve, when he saw the paternal love with which the Lord regarded them and how he made them the lords of all creation, that he gave them hope of eternal life. The wrath of the dragon was lashed to fury, and no tongue can describe the rage with which the beast was filled. Now how great was his envy and his desire to take the life of these two beings. Like an enraged lion, he certainly would have done so, if he had not known that a superior force would prevent him. Nevertheless, he studied and plotted out some means which would suffice to deprive them of the grace of the Most High and make them God's enemies. Here, Lucifer was deceived, for the Lord had from the very beginning mysteriously manifested to him that the word was to assume human nature in the womb of the Most Holy Mary, but not how and when. And thus he had also concealed the creation of Adam and the formation of Eve in order that Lucifer might from the beginning labor until his ignorance concerning the mystery and the time of the Incarnation. As his wrath and his watchfulness had thus been so signally forestalled in regard to Christ and Mary, he suspected that Adam had come forth from Eve, and that she was the mother, and Adam the incarnate word. His suspicions grew when he felt the divine power, which prevented him from harming the life of these creatures. On the other hand, he soon became aware of the precepts of God, for these did not remain concealed for, from him, since he heard their conversation in regard to them. Being freed more and more from his doubt as he listened to the words of the first parents and sized up their natural gifts, he began to follow them like a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5.8, seeking an entrance through these inclinations which he found in each of them. Nevertheless, until he was deceived in the course of the redemption, he continued to hesitate between his wrath against Christ and Mary and the dread of being overcome by them. Most of all, he had dreaded the confusion of being conquered by the Queen of Heaven, who was to be a mere creature, and not God. Taking courage, therefore, in the precept which was given to Adam and Eve, and having prepared the snare, Lucifer entered with all his energy upon the work of entrapping them, and of opposing and hindering the execution of the divine will. 
He first approached the woman and not the man because he knew her to be, by nature, more frail and weak, and because in tempting her he would be more certain that it was not Christ whom he was encountering. Against her also he was more enraged ever since he had seen the sign in the heaven and since the threat which God had made in it against him. In all these accounts his wrath was greater against Eve than against Adam. Before he showed himself to her, however, he aroused in her many disturbing thoughts or imaginations in order to approach her in a state of excitement and preoccupation. But because I have written about this in another place, I will not enlarge here upon the violence and inhumanity of this temptation. It is enough for my purpose to mention what Scripture says, that he took the form of a serpent, Genesis 3.1, and thus, speaking to Eve, drew her into a conversation which she should not have permitted. Listening to him and answering, she began to believe him. Then she violated the command of God and finally persuaded her husband likewise to transgress the precept. Thus ruin overtook them and all the rest. For themselves and for us they lost the happy position in which God had placed them. When Lucifer saw the two fallen and their interior beauty and grace and original justice changed into the ugliness of sin, he celebrated his triumph with incredible joy and vaunting in the company of his demons. But he soon fell from his proud boasting when he saw, contrary to his expectations, how kindly the merciful love of God dealt with the delinquents, and how he offered them a chance of doing penance by giving them hope of pardon and return to grace. Moreover, he saw how they were disposing themselves toward this forgiveness by sorrow and contrition, and how the beauty of grace was restored to them. When the demons perceived the effect of contrition, all hell was again in confusion. His consternation grew when he heard the sentence which God pronounced against the guilty ones, in which he himself was implicated. More especially and above all was he tormented by the repetition of that threat. The woman shall crush thy head, which he had already heard in heaven. The offspring of Eve multiplied after the fall, and so arose the distinction, the multiplication of the good and the bad, the elect and the reprobate, the ones following Christ the Redeemer, the others following Satan. The elect cling to their leader by faith, humility, charity, patience, and all the virtues, and in order to obtain victory, they are assisted, helped, and beautified by the divine grace and the gifts, which the Redeemer and Lord of all merited for them. But the reprobate, without receiving any such benefits from their false leader, or eating or any other reward than the eternal pain and the confusion of hell, follow him in pride, presumption, obscenity, and wickedness, being led into these disorders by the father of lies and the originator of sin. Notwithstanding all this, the Most High in his ineffable kindness gave our first parents his benediction in order that the human race might grow and multiply. Genesis 4.3 the Most High Providence permitted that Eve, in the unjust Cain, should bring forth a type of the evil fruits of sin, and in the innocent Abel, both in figure and in imitation, the type of Christ our Lord. For in the first, just one, the law and doctrine of Christ began to exert its effects. All the rest of the just were to follow it, suffering for justice's sake, Matthew 10.22, hated and persecuted by sinners and the reprobate and by their own brothers. Accordingly, patience, humility, and meekness began to appear in Abel and in Cain, envy and all wickedness. For the benefit of the just and for his own perdition, the wicked triumph and the good suffer, 
exhibiting the spectacle which the world in its progress shows to this day, namely the Jerusalem of the God-fearing and the Babylon of the God-forsaken, each with its own leader and head. The Most High also wished that the first Adam should be the type of the second in the manner of their creation. For just as before the creation of the first, he created and ordered for him the republic of all the beings, of which he was to be the Lord and head. So before the appearance of his only begotten, he allowed many ages to pass by, in order that his son might, in the multiplying numbers of the human race, find prepared for himself a people, of which he was to be the head, the teacher, and the king. He was not to be even for a moment without a people, and without followers. Such is the wonderful harmony and order, in which the divine wisdom disposed all things, making that latter in the execution, which was first in the intention. As the world progressed in its course, in order that the word might descend from the bosom of the Father and clothe itself in our mortality, God selected and prepared a chosen and most noble people, the most admirable of past and future times. Within it, also he constituted a most illustrious and holy race, from which he was to descend according to the flesh. I will not linger in detailing the genealogy of Christ our Lord, for the account of the holy evangelists has made that unnecessary. I will only say, in praise of the Most High, he has shown to me many times the incomparable love which he bore toward his people, the favor shown to it, and the mysteries and holy sacraments which he entrusted to it, as was afterwards made manifest through his holy church. For at no time has slept nor slumbered he who has constituted himself the watcher of Israel. Psalm 124. He reared most holy prophets and patriarchs who in figures and prophecies announced to us from afar off that which we have now in possession. He wishes us to venerate them, knowing how they esteemed the law of grace and how earnestly they yearned and prayed for it. To this people, God manifested his immutable essence by many revelations, and they again transmitted these revelations to us by the Holy Scriptures, containing immense mysteries which we grasp and learn to know by faith. All of them, however, are brought to perfection and are made certain by the incarnate word who transmitted to us the secure rule of faith and the nourishment of the sacred scriptures in his church. Although the prophets and the just ones of the people were not so far favored as to see Christ in his body, they nevertheless experienced the liberality of the Lord, who manifested himself to them by prophecies and who moved their hearts to pray for this coming and for the redemption of the whole human race. The consonance and harmony of all these prophecies, mysteries, and aspirations of the ancient fathers were a sweet music to the Most High, which resounded in the secret recesses of the divinity, and which regaled and shortened the time to speak in a human manner, until he should descend to converse with man. This concludes our reading today from chapter 11, paragraphs 134 to 146. We hear mentioned today Adam and Eve, the creation of Adam and Eve. An interesting thing that God created Adam at the age of 33, according to Maria Vagruda. I thought that was a, a unique fact, and I'm not sure if I've heard that before or even ever thought about that, but that being the year in which Jesus, our Lord, died uh, in that year of life. So how fitting, how perfect. And then we see the fall of man, 
we see it come as Eve, as she describes, was drawn into a conversation with the serpent that she should not have permitted, that she should not have permitted. So Maria Vagrida here is writing that she should have been on guard. She should have known, well, this is a near occasion of sin. God had told me one thing, and now the serpent is telling me something completely different. So she should have resisted that conversation, walked away from it. That's what Maria Vagrida, I think, means when she says, even drew her into a conversation which she should not have permitted. Well, then we become aware of the different moments in our life where we permit those little temptations to enter in, and then we begin to entertain them and regretfully then sometimes even consent to them. But even in the fall, there's great hope. And the hope is because Jesus forgives us, because God turns towards us. He wants us to come back to him. We read, But he soon fell from his proud boasting when he saw, contrary to his expectations, how kindly the merciful love of God dealt with the delinquents and how he offered them a chance of doing penance by giving them hope of pardon and return of grace. Moreover, he saw how they were disposing themselves toward this forgiveness by sorrow and contrition and how the beauty of grace was restored to them. Well, we know by our sorrow and by our contrition, especially through the sacrament of reconciliation, that we have pardon, that we have forgiveness, and that the merciful God deals with us in a loving way in our own lives if there's a sin that we're aware of. And maybe it's a sin from our previous years and we've never really confessed it. We're too embarrassed. Well, the Lord wants our sorrow. He wants our contrition. He wants us to bring it to him so that we might experience that pardon and that peace. As we talk about Adam and Eve, and I'm sure it'll come up in our reading and I'll mention this again then, but Adam and Eve, there is a new Adam in Jesus, a new Eve in the person of Mary. That as Eve, what she does by her disobedience, Mary by her obedience undoes in the words of St. Irenaeus of Lyon. And so we turn to that new Adam and that new Eve. We ask Jesus to forgive us. We ask Mary to help us by her prayers so that we might live as the children of God, living as he wants us to, following his commandments. And if we entertain that conversation with the evil one, to come back to the merciful God, repentant and sorrowful. I'm Father Edward Looney, and you have been listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. We're reading through these mystical revelations received by Sister Maria of Agreda in the 1600s. We'll continue our reading tomorrow. I hope you'll join us then. And may God bless you today, and Mary pray for you.